Okay, so we're back for another podcast, and this is actually our 12th podcast that we're doing, but we're doing something a little bit different today. We've talked to lots of the services that are around Suffolk, but today we're delighted to be joined by Stacey, who is somebody that um, Claire and I have got to know relatively well over the last um, few weeks. Um, and Stacey is a survivor of domestic abuse, and she's here today. She's going to share her story with us. Um, so thanks, Stacey, for joining us. And I, and I know I've just called you a survivor there. Um, there's often a a little bit of debate about whether or not somebody would prefer to be called victim or survivor are you are you happy with being Stacey a, a survivor um, of yes abuse? um I class myself as a survivor because mm-hmm. I think it's um very important to remove the victim label from people um as soon as possible to get them out of that mental state of being a victim and I'm not a victim to him or anything that he done to me I am a survivor of everything I've been through and I've come out the other side so yeah I am 100% a survivor that's brilliant well that it's great we, we're so happy to have you here today um we know that you you've, you've you've spoken a few times to various different audiences hopefully and um, we can reach even more people now with your story and and, and uh, make an impact on how they how they're able to support victims going forward so yeah hello thank you. you thank you for joining us so terry and i are super chuffed to have you on here and we've heard your story before and every time we hear your story uh, it makes you feel something and I think that's so important uh, ex- especially for those professionals out there so you're going to share it share your story with us so I guess the first question really is to ask when did you meet your ex-partner and describe what your relationship was like okay so um, I first met my ex-partner in 2012 Um I'd just come back to work from maternity of have, from having my third child. And, um, yeah, he was um, at work and I met him and we developed a friendship over a period of time, um, which obviously evolved into something more. Um, when I first met him, he was he appeared to be kind and um, generous and um, was just a nice person. Um, over a period of time, I'd say about three three months, um, we would um, play fight and um, a lot of the time I would end up getting hurt, but it was play fighting, so I was like, okay, that's fine. And then overnight, he moved in um, to my property, gave up his flat, and it just went downhill from there, unfortunately. Um, the first serious assault, he actually knocked out my front tooth and fractured my nose, which I attended hospital for. And at the time, I was so confused over what had happened that um, I ended up telling the doctor and A&E that I tripped over a hoover and hit my face off the kitchen counter when, in fact, he had smashed my face off a kitchen cupboard. Um and just overnight, it just the whole relationship changed. He became verbally abusive. He was physically abusive. And it went from physical abuse being every week, every couple of weeks, to every day, unfortunately. Now, I'd been with him for possibly a year. And then my middle child at the time had disclosed to a teacher at school that he um, used to shout at me. Mm-hmm. And he was quite scary. So obviously that triggered social services involvement. Um, They come to me, um, the first meeting that I ever had with a social worker, she come to me with a Claire's Law. 
Now, on this Claire's Law, she told me about the violence um, that he had been to jail for, that he had been accused of, but left out the violence that had actually occurred between him and ex-partners. I didn't find this out till later on down the line. um, Stacey, just to ask, what was his background did you know anything about his history and where he was from etc no I'd heard rumors through the grapevine that obviously he had um beaten up his previous partner that there had been allegations of rape um things like that but when I questioned him about it he was like no people are lying and I just believed him yeah automatically thought do you know what? People don't always tell the truth. Maybe he's telling the truth. They've got it wrong. And mm-hmm. I actually had an argument with a few people over it because I was like, stop stop spreading rumours. Stop being horrible about people. Unless you know, don't say anything. Yeah. So I was still very much in this bubble that he was actually this nice person. This was nothing to like there was nothing wrong with him. So mm-hmm. when social first got involved, they brought the Claire's Law to me and they said, um, we think that you're being abused, your children have disclosed certain things and stuff. And I just went into pure denial mode. I was like, no, it's not true. Um, my children have, I've never called my children a liar, but I said that they're, they're a bit mistaken about what things that have happened um, and things like that. So we had social involvement. And then um, I did leave him for four months and social stepped away because I decided to end the relationship um I didn't speak to him for the whole four months and then he appeared again and uh, when he come back into my life um my children disclosed to a teacher that he was back social was straight back involved yeah. now over the course of three three years four years I've I had 32 social workers um yeah. Each one, they were very different in their approach. And it was very difficult for my children to continuously keep telling the same story to strangers. Mm. We all teach our children of stranger danger, but my children were being passed around from pillar to post expecting to tell people. So obviously my eldest child at the time was 10, didn't really want to engage with another new person. They did, he didn't really want to go through everything again. So social did unfortunately put down that he was not engaging they thought it was due to things that I was saying and trying to convince him not to say anything which it really wasn't true yeah. um so obviously the relationship escalated it was becoming more frequent so um I found out that I was pregnant with his child and I decided to move my children into my mum's house for the time being because just until he'd completed his risk assessments to keep them safe to keep myself safe so I used to go home put my children to bed then I'd go back to the property that I shared with him most nights and every weekend they would go to their other their dad's house and I would spend all weekend with him at our house um obviously once the children were no longer there the violence escalated because he didn't have to worry about anyone saying anything or any kind of repercussions now when I um told him that I was obviously pregnant um the violence just escalated again um and he mentioned to me when I asked him why it was getting worse he said that I was his property now that I was carrying his child he could do as he pleased I was to just basically deal with it and be quiet about it so I had various involvement with um social workers and every time a new one come in they were like 
Do you know what I mean? He's quite charming. They said that he was quite nice. He was polite. He carried himself and conducted himself well. So I was very much already at the point where I was like, well, no one's going to believe anything I've got to say if that's how he's portraying himself to you all, mm. um, which is, is very difficult because a lot of people don't understand in domestic violence that um, the perpetrator can be quite manipulative. Yeah. So... Um, I was never pointed in any kind of direction for any kind of help or to seek any um, help from Women's Aid or Lighthouse or anything, unfortunately. Now, I, when I was pregnant, um, I attended the hospital a total of six times um, for issues that I'd had in my pregnancy. Um, the first time I went, I'd actually, after an assault, I'd gone blind. And when I got to the hospital, it was because um, my ketones had gone through the roof because he was starving me. I was only allowed one meal a day. If I attempted to eat more, he would just be like, this is why you're so fat. He'd try and belittle me, try and tell me that I wasn't allowed to eat that, take it off me. So, yeah, that resulted me into um, going into hospital. And obviously, I was under social child protection at that point. So that should have shown up on their screens nobody really inquired anything about why I was the way I was or anything mm -hmm. and then another important time I was taken in when I was pregnant he'd actually sexually assaulted me to the point that it actually caused severe bleeding so I contacted the hospital and said to them um I've been bleeding obviously they asked their questions why and stuff like this and I just said at the time it was due to just having sex I said and it's caused this so they said okay come up and We'll, we'll we'll see you kind of thing um so I went up and I said to the doctor at the time and my ex-partner turned around to the doctor and was like no that's not true I actually put my hand up her and tried to move her cervix this doctor said to him that's not really good that's quite bad left the room and I never see that doctor again nobody come to ask me about it no one come to check on me oh, nothing and then um, the next time was I attended a scan. Um, I was by myself. This was the only scan I managed to go by myself. And that is literally because I did not pick him up before going there um, because I had the black eyes. Um, no one asked me if I was OK. No one pulled me to one side and asked me why I was pregnant with two black eyes. Nothing. Um, so at this point, I thought to myself, no one's out there. No one cares. No one's going to ever be willing to kind of help me. Um, so when um, I was pregnant, there was a police called the first time by my neighbour because he wouldn't let me leave. I was sitting in the car. And when the police turned up, they um, allowed him to leave with his mum because his mum turned up to pick him up. So I instantly thought to myself, well, they're not worried about me or anything like that because they've just let him leave. They haven't even spoken to him, nothing. So after that, I thought, well, there's no one out here that's going to help me at all all like nobody's going to believe me because he's so charming and wonderful so two days before I gave birth to our child um he assaulted me outside a barber's shop and the the lady across the road that witnessed it phoned the police and I remember standing there and I hear all the sirens and I thought to myself what the hell is going on didn't think that they were coming for us and three police cars come and these police just jumped out and ran towards us and I thought oh no but because I was so petrified at the time didn't think no one would believe me nothing I refused to give over my details so 
I thought after it all happened, I thought I'd wet myself being heavily pregnant due to have a baby. But what had happened is two days later, I actually went into hospital because I wasn't feeling very well. And I'd actually lost my waters and I'd had an infection. Mm-hmm. So I got took in um, to the hospital. I was induced and um, they, they said to me, oh, you need to get whoever you want to come up here because you'll be going into labour soon. So I phoned him and then he phoned me saying that he was being refused on the ward because there was an emergency. So I remember saying to the midwife, what's going on? And she was like, nothing. And I just said to her, listen, if he's not allowed on the ward, that's fine. But please don't make me give birth while I'm by myself. I was like, please let me get somebody else. For a little while, she was just like, no, 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 it's fine. And then eventually she said to me, listen, we can't. Your mum's made a report to the police, obviously assaulted you. And she said that she's worried that he's going to kill you. So we just can't let him on the ward. So I gave birth to my child. And um, were you on your own, Stacey? I wasn't. Luckily, I phoned my friend that lived nearby and she was at the traffic lights for the hospital. Wow. And she was just like, I'm there, I'm coming. And she literally got in the door just as I was just about to push. Uh-huh. So I luckily had someone there because that was just my biggest worry. I just did not want to be in labour and have this baby by myself. I felt so alone as it was. Yeah. I just didn't want to do that all by myself. So, no, luckily she she got there in time. It was honestly, it was just so weird how she was so close. It was so, I'm just so glad she made it. So after I had, um, given birth obviously I went to get ready to leave the hospital like you do and was informed by the midwife that the social had put in motions into court to have my child removed from me so I wasn't allowed to leave the hospital so um, I ended up staying five days in the hospital and then on the 1st of April 2016 um, I had a court date in Chelmsford to go to court about the removal of my children now my friend picked me up to take me there and I remember this um and I'll always remember her face and I said to her it's the first of April there is no way they're going to remove my children because it's April Fool's Day and I remember and I remember to the day I died the way my friend just looked at me and touched my arm and was just like I'm actually really worried about you, Stacey. Like, that's not normal thinking. I'm actually really concerned. And I just brushed it off and was like, don't be stupid. So, obviously, I went I went to court. And, unfortunately, I lost all four of my children at the time. Two went to my mum. Two went to their dad. And one went into foster care. The child I had with him went into foster care. And um, as I was um, leaving the court, he ran after me and was shouting stuff at me at the court, following me downstairs, but I just kept walking and got away. And um, he was, he just constantly phoned me. So because I was, I'd had my children removed, I had to leave my mother's property. I wasn't even allowed to go back to get my stuff and had to move back into the property I had with him. Um, So obviously when I first got back home that first night, I remember thinking to myself, it's okay because he knows how I feel because he's lost his child too. It was a very stupid opinion that I had thinking that he would understand because he just he did, literally didn't care. Um, and that was the only time I cried to him about losing my kids. And he just kept saying to me, you just need to grow up. You need to just sort yourself out and sort your life out. Now, after that, um, he did. I did report him for one assault in the um, April and he was put on bail. 
So I, they they couldn't find him. And I said to them, he has contact with our child in a contact centre a couple of days later. So that they did get him. He was put on bail. He was told he wasn't allowed to come near me and he wasn't allowed to contact me. And I swear down, I got a phone call at 10 p.m. that night saying he was being released. And these were his bail conditions. He phoned me at 10 past 10. And he was like, you need to, like, I'm coming home. You need to get these charges dropped. You need to sort it out. And he turned up at my door and I was just too petrified (laughs) to do anything because I thought Mm. he's got bail conditions and he's not even listening to them. I thought, so no one can protect me from this man. No one's ever going to be able to protect me from him. So um, he come back and unfortunately it was just, it was just awful. Like I was getting beaten up every day. I was trying to attend contact centers five times a week. I was drinking at night time because I was just so depressed about not having my kids I was so mm. depressed about the situation I was in I just felt like there was no way out mm. so th- there was a couple of incidences um that happened after that where I just really was confused about how I was going to get out of this situation but um just before I had my son I contacted myself um lighthouse and I went in to see them explained everything and she was the first person to actually say to me no I need to do a risk assessment and I thought what is a risk assessment I remember like yesterday thinking well what the hell is that and, and was, this, went, was this Catherine Awalia who you originally yeah. thought yeah yes yeah. that was and um I've ne- I'd never even though the police had been out before and stuff like that no one had ever done a risk assessment on me and um when we finished she was like you're you're very high risk and I remember at the time thinking to myself no I'm not like I've not been in hospital for days on end I've not do you know what I mean I've, he's not battered me to near death so I really thought that it wasn't that serious mm. so um yeah Catherine she was a lovely lady so she said to me I'd really like to get you in to do the freedom course so once a week at night time. So I actually convinced my ex-partner that I was going to a computer course that social are making me do to try and further me <laughs> with education wise and stuff. So I attended all the um, freedom program mm-hmm. and it's actually an amazing program. Like until I was there and understanding stuff and simple things like when we used to go out for something to eat, he'd always choose my food. And I thought to myself, oh, that's lovely. That's because he knows me and he knows what I like to eat. No, he was controlling everything Mm -hmm. that I'd done. And I was so oblivious to it. Mm -hmm. So he used to pick me up after the freedom course to stand the road all the time. And um, yeah, it was just a really bizarre situation to be in. But I was really starting to kind of open my eyes to it all. from this education from Lighthouse and um, then all of a sudden on the 23rd of July 2016 we'd had he'd he'd gone out to work and then he returned and I shrugged my shoulders at him and he just lost it literally just lost it and he um, beat me up for eight hours and um, during this I fell off the chair with my phone And somehow my phone had unlocked itself and phoned my mum. And it was so weird because I don't even know how it happened to this day. So my mum phoned me back and I said to him, my mum's phoning me. And I remember him saying, it's okay, I'll go to the shop to get paper stitches for your head because he split my head open. Mm -hmm. And um, when my mum come like phoned me and stuff, I was just like, nothing's happened. Um, Don't worry about it just carry on doing your thing and um she left it a little while and I remember I had a bath and that 
and she phoned me back he come back he stitched my head to, and um she was like if you don't leave i'm gonna phone the police so i thought to myself this could be an opportunity for me so i remember saying to him i'm gonna have to go and walk up the road and pretend that i'm walking to my friend's house and that i was fine and i was going to be safe as soon as i left that house my body was not taking me back to that house it just i just kept walking and walking and he was phoning me and telling me to get back and i was just going now i was covered in blood my face was all covered in blood and um i got in a taxi and got to the train station now i don't remember a lot from the journey to, from the train station to my auntie's house at all yeah. but i remember my auntie opening the door and screaming and I instantly thought to myself you're so dramatic <laughs> because I didn't realize how bad I really looked and I remember sitting down and wiping my face and then my mum just appeared and my mum was like I'm taking you to the hospital and again I don't remember the journey to the hospital but I remember being in the hospital and I remember talking to my mum and her looking at me and when we went in to see the doctor, I, I still said to the doctor, oh, I fell over. And my mum was like, no, she has not. She has been beaten up. I'm not having it no more. And um, I remember my mum saying to the doctor, is there any chance she could have taken something? And the doctor was like, no, it's severe concussion. And um, so we left the hospital. They said to her, you need to keep her with you, um, keep an eye on her, et cetera, et cetera. So I went back to my mum's property. He phoned me at five o'clock that morning and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. It was just me getting angry. And I thought I thought to myself, OK, fine, I'll get up tomorrow and I'll, I'll come home. That'll be fine. Now, I remember getting up in the morning and going downstairs and was just like trying to work out how I was going to get out of the house. And um, as I tried to open the front door, the front door was locked. And I said to my mum, where's the keys for the front door? And she was like, no, I've locked everything. And I phoned the police. You're not going. She was like, I'm not burying my daughter. And um, I had a police, policeman turn up. He took me to the police station. And as I started explaining things to him, he said to me, unfortunately, I'm just a standard police officer. But what you're disclosing to me is sexual crimes. Um, so I'm going to have to call in the sexual crime unit. And I was just like, OK, still didn't realise how severe the whole situation was. I was just like, OK, that's fine. So when I met up with them, they said that I would have to, due to all the issues, I'd have to do a DVD interview because a written one was just it would just take too long and I remember going into this room and it just looks like a front living room it's just the sofa they there mm. sofa you sit she points out that there's cameras there but it's just a very kind of calm relaxed atmosphere it's, it's very strange because you assume being in a police station it's cold it's all this and it just wasn't and um I remember there was one particular conversation that we had and um she mentioned about every time after he'd beat me up what happened and obviously I explained to her that we used to have sex and she instantly said to me says did you realize that's rape and I said to her don't be so ridiculous I didn't say no and she said to me I know you didn't say no but at that state you couldn't have said no and I was just like right and she was like because he could have beat you up further that's classed as rape so I was really kind of like shocked at that aspect that that was the take on it to everybody else. Cause I instantly thought well, I didn't say no. So how can that be right? And, um, mm. so I done, I done my DVD interview and, um, 
that it took them a month to find him to arrest him and that was the longest month of my life and they wanted me to go into a refuge but the refuge they wanted me to go was in the same town where he was and I was obviously out of town and um, I said to them no I'm safe with my mum I'm safe at my mum's and social they hadn't wanted me to move in with my mum's but my mum pushed it so much they eventually agreed so mm-hmm. I was allowed to move back in there so I said I'm not leaving the comfort of my mum's house to go and live in a refuge in Ipswich where he lives I yeah. was like it's 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 you're, that's not safe I was like at least here it's going to take him a little while to get here or if he's here like we can do things that's fine so they allowed me to stay there and um and then on the 9th of November um of 2016 I got my children back um because I'd obviously attended courses I'd actually pressed charges he was on remand so um obviously they come back to me and said that they had charged him with rape um and what did I want to do and I I said at the time I'm pregnant with my daughter I found out I was pregnant I said I've got a court case I've got everything my children I am not mentally strong enough to go through uh, with a rape case so (laughs) they they, I dropped the charges of rape um so um I then had they asked me to attend court over Christmas on um the basis of it would be a 24-hour call thing and they would let me know and I'd have to go and I due to the issues I was having with my pregnancy and just getting my other children back I asked if they would I didn't have to do that and they could set a date and they did which was quite good of them at the time Mm -hmm. so they set the date for the 8th of February which is the day before my 30th birthday and I remember thinking to myself he just has to ruin everything but I was <laughs> determined to attend. Now, when I, because I went and actually had a look around the court, I thought, do you know what? I'm actually going to attend. I'm going to have a look around so it won't be to- so much with being heavily pregnant and et cetera. And um, I was took around Ipswich Court and that was quite nice to see everything before I attended. Now, the day I attended, they were like, we ha- we can do um, camera or you, you can have um, a sheet up so you can't see him. And I just refused at all because I wanted him to see me, to see that I was no longer scared of him and that I was going to do this. And I was I'd had enough and I wasn't going to just put up with this no more. And I won't lie. It was so scary. And being pregnant, it was it was a lot. But the judge was really, really nice. Um, Obviously, it was quite emotional because when their solicitor asks you things that aren't quite true, it can it can be a lot. Mm. But I was literally so glad I'd done it. I didn't stay for the because um, there was another two days that it went on. I didn't stay for any more of them. But I just um, my mum attended for the final hearing. And um, obviously he got found guilty, unanimous guilty it was as well. And my solicitor had put forward for a year's restraining order because he said, on average, that's what you kind of get. Um, the judge actually declined that and said he was giving me a five-year restraining order, which I was really, really shocked about, but obviously really happy because I think sometimes a year isn't long enough for a survivor to be able to sort their whole life out and get everything back on track and then, boom, he's back again. Do you know what I mean? Able to do what he wants kind of thing. So, yeah, five years. I've still got a year left of mine. So it has been, like, that's quite nice. And then... um, after court obviously I still had social involvement and then when he come out of jail they actually put me on child protection again and I was just very much like you're punishing me because he's coming out of jail 
so at this time I got introduced to um, Gary from ACT. He was brought in when the police come to do um, honour-based um, violence because yeah. obviously mm-hmm. my ex-partner was a Muslim. They come and was asking me how involved in the community I was and everything like that. And she she brought along Gary. So Gary works for ACT to help victims, survivors of domestic violence with all aspects. He helped me. He got me on a course for self-esteem. He got me help with housing because obviously I had to flee that property and had to get a new one. They helped me with um, debt that had occurred, obviously, because my ex-partner used to take all my money. Um, they, they're a, a fantastic service. And I know um, Leeway are also meant to be like quite similar to them and really good. And um, so, yeah, Gary really supported me with that, really supported me with social and kind of reminded them of how far I'd come, the courses I'd attended, mm. the fact that I'd pressed charges, that actually this was very victim-based shaming and it should be put on him. And eventually social did close my case, which was great. Um, And it was actually Gary that encouraged me to try and get myself out there a little bit to get my voice heard to be able to help professionals understand because it's very easy to read from a book but a book can't tell you what I can and other survivors can really um Mm -hmm. so he encouraged me to go and help out at West Suffolk College and give speeches there and um the Marat conference meeting I went and gave a speech there um, just to kind of encourage professionals to not label us all the same um, and to be able to explain a bit easier what it's like once then professionals leave and that door closes and we're stuck where we are um, to to understand why people don't always seek help. Um, In my incident, I didn't leave because various times I did say I was going to leave I was threatened to be set on fire he threatened to set my children on fire he threatened to throw acid in my face Mm. and at that point in time because he'd done everything else and he used to beat me up he's he stabbed me before I generally believed that that was going to happen to me if I left him so it was fear fear then that kept you there yeah a hundred percent like it's it when when someone's capable of doing something to you you always think to yourself could they go that one step further and actually because when you're in it and people used to say to me he's going to kill you I used to be like don't be ridiculous I'm not going to be that girl that gets killed but actually when he assaulted me the last time and he said to me I'm going to kill you and I said to him you have other children and his words were that's fine I will kill myself straight after and that's when my brain was like, you are going to be one of them girls that is going to turn into a statistic if you do not do something. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And from statistics as well, with domestic homicides, you know, those those are that is what happens is that um, threats to kill and threats to kill themselves. And that's what tends mm-hmm. to happen. They take they take their lives and then they're willing to go the whole hog, take others with them. Um mm. You know, so you could have been one of those statistics. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that yeah. I think that sometimes when you're in that, you don't think that they'll go to that extent. But mm-hmm. my ex-partner didn't tell the truth a lot of the time. But I tell you what, when he told me he was going to kill me and take himself, I believed him 100%. I believed him. one, And I generally believe if 
I'd never got my kids back and he'd never gone to jail, I would not be here today. I w- he would have killed me, 100%. What a story, Stacey. <laughs> a real story as well. Terry, have you got any other questions you want to ask? Well, I'm just, yeah, it, it leaves me speechless every time, to be <laughs> honest, Stacey. Um, I, I, there's, there's a few bits that really stand out for me. The, the fact that, that throughout... Um, until he assaulted you in public where somebody else saw that really he presented himself to everybody and as this sort of you know um shiny shiny person charming um you you used the words kind yeah. and generous that is how he managed to yeah. sell himself to you um and i just think that really stands out for me it actually took for some for something to happen in public for for that shine to kind of come mm-hmm. off almost um and for social workers to to be believing him over you and um I think you've talked to us before about you know how you're how you might have come across um in some of those situations either when you were with him or or, or once you had separated from him in that kind of manic manic state that you might be in and and how that can really, really be misinterpreted. And, yeah, because that, um, that 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 really yeah, stands when, out. Obviously, when you're with them, uh, um, the manic state is you're trying to survive the best you can. So you're always trying to keep yeah. that one step ahead. You're always thinking to yourself, what's he going to wake up? What can I do? My thing was, where could I exit out of the room? That's what I used to think every time we were mm-hmm. anywhere. Where can I run if I really, really need to run? And it, it can appear very manic, unstable. I was accused of being on drugs at one point by the social worker, mm, yeah. which I'd, I'd done a test. Luckily, the judge allowed me to do a test, which come back. And then after I left him, you go into a different manic mode because all of a sudden this person controls when you wake up, when you eat, when you sleep, where you go how long you can be for. He removed all the doors off my house. So I, di- I didn't even, for a long time after I left him, I couldn't close the bathroom door anywhere I went because it was just too much. <laughs> and that's another manic yeah. because your whole world, someone who controls everything, tells you you can't survive without him, tells you you can't look after your children without him, tells you all this, is now gone. Yeah. And you have to piece your whole life and your kids' lives and everything else around you back together. You have to start from scratch if you've had to flee. You're in a house that's got nothing of yours in there anymore. You now have to make that into a home. Yeah. When one professional's asking you to do this, another's asking you to do this, this, and you've already been controlled by a man, you then feel like you're being controlled yeah. by them too. And they're, they're, they really do set unrealistic goals. And, and you and you and you described yeah. it as you know people perceiving that you were on drugs. Yeah. But actually, you mentioned to us that you were just trying to survive at that point. Yeah. And it is about trying to survive, and the brain goes into overdrive, and you're just like, well, how can I do this? What's this best way? How can I get out? I like sometimes I used to remember in an assault, I used to think to myself, I need to get out of the kitchen because this is where knives are. How can I get him into the living room? How can I get him upstairs? Like, do you know what I mean? And all that on the brain while dealing with everything else, it, it, it does appear manic. It does appear that we're on drugs. And do you know what I mean? I can see why people perceive that, but it's, it's re- I cannot express it. It's really not. It is survival mode just kicked in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you talked, you've already mentioned a couple of um, times where 
um, you saw professionals and perhaps they didn't ask questions. So where Mm -hmm. do you think those interventions, on how many occasions do you think interventions could have taken place? And it's interesting because we had a conversation with Catherine earlier and she said, you may not have been ready but it, mm-hmm. still, but it still may have made you think about it. So where mm-hmm. do you think those interventions could have happened through your story? I think every time I've seen a social worker, which was quite frequent, they could yeah. have slipped me a little thing about Lighthouse or they could have... I, I, honestly, I, I, I probably wasn't ready, but if my social worker had turned up at my door and said, I'm taking you to a refuge with your kids now or you're going to lose your kids or end up dead, I'd have gone. I might not have wanted to, but I would have gone. Um, the times I was at the hospital, I mean, there was another incident at the hospital where the lady in the room behind us had reported that he'd hit me. She'd heard it. No one come to check on me. They just come and ask him to leave. They didn't tell me that she'd report. Like, do you know what I mean? All them times there, every appointment I went to when I was pregnant and I had black eye, like I was missed in so many opportunities, even housing. Like they had. Yeah, yeah they, say housing. they admitted when housing. we were at court that they had, I think it was something stupid like 38 reports from neighbours and one of them had said, if you don't do something, she's going to end up dead. But they hadn't reported it to the police or like mm-hmm. put any kind of information to any other, anyone else. No, 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 no. They, they literally. <laughs> no, no. My housing officer never turned up on my doorstep and was like, "Listen, your neighbours are actually really worried." Like nothing, nothing. Didn't yeah. e- I? I knew nothing about these reports until we were at court for my kids. Knew nothing about them. Literally. So you, and again, it's I thought to myself, even my neighbours don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like at the point, I was thinking my neighbours don't even care. They must be able to hear it. When in fact, my neighbours did care. They just didn't know how to get me the best help. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think obviously we, you know, we, we train, our training is open to absolutely anybody. And we've got, we've had lots of social workers, lots of student social workers, more experienced social workers, lots of um, housing officers and and people like that. So I think for them to hear your story, it's not about being, um, it's not about criticising them. It's not about criticising what the way they do their work. It's about saying, you know, there's, there's actually, um, it, it's not as it's not as no. straightforward as it seems and actually we need to just be asking mm. asking some questions and not making assumptions and taking yeah. things at face well, value we, it's um, it's one of those and, it's one it's yeah. your story is where we can learn from yeah and I mean some of, I, some I, of those I, things I, we were talking earlier and I said I have um, I, I, I'm slightly angry about how I was failed but not not really I'm over it do you know what I mean like my life has moved on too much but if I can just help people understand a little bit more professionals understand the whole story or educate them a little bit or even help them where if they ask me questions help them where they could kind of maybe do something rather than this or say this rather than this and I think a lot of them have to change the language they use as well like Mm -hmm. when they say that we're not interacting and it's just like it's not that we're not interacting when you first finally admit to yourself that you are a victim of domestic violence it is world shattering and when you've got people that are ringing you and they're Mm. like no we need to talk and you just want five minutes to sit in a room and just breathe Mm -hmm. for a second and 
some professionals don't give you that opportunity and then think that you're being awkward and not engaging and that's not correct it's not true it's we're just trying to work out the best way to go what priorities need to come first then what we need to do do you know what i mean it's very that's again the manicness and they're like oh they're not interacting that means they're going to go back no we just need a second to re-engage ourselves and also you although you know there was some things that didn't go well for you there was some standout workers who you now look back and think well you've already talked about Gary from ACT and you've already said Mm -hmm. that you know you felt like he he just changed things for you and and helped Mm -hmm. you and Catherine Awalia as well Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but you you mentioned um to us prior about the police officer as well that wouldn't leave you alone (laughs) to to a certain extent (laughs) okay so there was a number of times that the police had been called and they always allowed my ex-partner just to leave. Um, so I was very much like, well, then they're, they're not even talking to him. They're going to be no help to me. Now, this one particular day, I remember being in my living room and my ex-partner had picked up um, a weapon. And I remember dialing 999 on my mum's phone because I had her phone at the time. And I remember looking at him and he was just like, if you don't hang up now, I'll get to you before you can speak. So I was like, right, cool. The person had already connected to somebody on the like the other line, but hung up. So what I didn't know is they raced to my mum's house because it was obviously registered to her. And she said, no, it's my daughter that's got the phone. So I'm oblivious, just going to the shop and I get a call on the mobile and it was a police officer. And he was like, you phoned 999 earlier. I need to check you're OK. And I was so rude to him. I was like, no, you can go away. You piss off. Like, I don't want to speak to you. Go away. And he was like, well, I'm going to wait at your house anyway until you get back here so I was like that's fine I'm going the long way home then that's fine you can wait there (laughs) until like do you know what I mean you'll be gone by the time I get home and I remember walking into the street and just seeing him and thinking oh what is he doing like take the hint go away and I remember like when we got to the door he was like can I come in I was like no we can stand on the doorstep what do you want like and I was so and I excused my language but I was going to him you can just fuck off now it's fine you can go away and he was like no I'm not going anywhere until I know that you're okay so I I calmed down a bit and I was like listen I'm fine it was a mistake blah 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 but he is the first professional that I'd encountered that I actually went indoors and sat down and thought to myself I should have told him I should have just blurted it out I should have told him because I trust him and it was weird how I just trusted him but I was just like there was something in him he wasn't going away he knows something's wrong and then I started thinking can I tell someone will they believe me is there a possibility like is this kind of a light that's just gone off and I can I can confide in somebody do you know what I mean? So, yeah, he was a, a very special man. He was, as much as I didn't want him to be there, he kind of started the clogs of me thinking to myself. Thinking about it, yeah. Could I actually do something here? Could I actually disclose to somebody? Could I, do you know what I mean, go forward with this? And, yeah, he got the wheels kind of turning, he did. And I, and I think I remember when you spoke at our networking event, you um, you um, you talked about that him particularly. And, and I remember it, it stood out for me. Um, and you said that something that professionals should do mm-hmm. is be persistent, you know, do be persistent just because you've asked once and you've been pushed mm-hmm. away as you did to him. Um come revisit it and ask again because you know you might you might exactly yeah. the process that you've just described going indoors and starting to think next time somebody asks you might think yeah I'm 
I'm going to tell you this time so that I remember mm-hmm. you saying that at our conference you know mm-hmm. just just be persistent and you know don't don't leave it just because you've been told I'm not interested right now that doesn't mean if you if your gut feeling tells you there's yeah. something wrong there probably is and and maybe that person might be might be able to and, trust and, you and, and something and Laura time. Richards so, um, uh, he does the dash training she says about being professionally curious and I think that's real good advice for all professionals mm-hmm. actually that sometimes there's a lot more to the story in most cases there's a lot more to the story and from what we're hearing from you Stacey we're hearing that actually it's all about that approach it's yeah. all about it's all about how someone wants to be interested, wants to is worried about you, you know, mm-hmm. cares and mm-hmm. and wants to help. And I think if people can come across in that way and genuine and be genuine about it, then um, mm-hmm. we're one step closer to to people, um, as you've said, people saying you're not engaging, but to people engaging or to people who think actually I do trust them and they might be able to help me. Um, and I think that's probably key, especially from hearing your story. I think that's definitely what's coming from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. And always to be open and honest with the, the victim, because if, if you're not, that they'll never trust you. They'll yeah. never trust you. Yeah. And if you're open and honest, they might not be happy with certain things that you're going to say to them or things like that. But a little bit of anger to then them to calm down and think about it logically is 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 worth it but at least you're honest because then they'll trust you and trust is a massive thing when you're in that especially when a man's saying to you they'll never believe you they think I'm lovely they think this if that person Mm. don't think they can trust you you're never going to get anywhere with them yeah absolutely okay um there's, there's, we could talk for ages, um, I, and I and I'm conscious conscious that that that, that we probably don't want to do that. Um, now, um, Claire has um, mentioned in our in our most recent training um, about the new campaign that's on television from Women's Aid, um, and they've launched an, an advert. And I know that um, you've had a chance to watch it, Stacey, and. Uh, and we we had a brief chat about it beforehand and and it was really interesting what you said so i wondered if um for those people who haven't seen it maybe go watch it um and then just for stacy to sort of tell us what what should i just say quickly what, well. what happens in case anybody oh, hasn't yeah. seen it yeah absolutely so it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, don't the so there's a lady who's going to the supermarket and she does her shopping and then she sits in the car for ages almost talking to herself and telling the story of what she's going to say to her husband um and then she goes home and she's literally standing by the sink with her husband or partner hanging over her and her trying to give her reasons as to why it took her so long um to go to the supermarket and it's just i think particularly with covid at the moment for me, it stopped me in my tracks. It was on twice in one night and it, it really stopped me in my tracks and thought it was really effective. So I asked Stacey if she could have a l- little look and see what she thought. So go ahead, Stacey, tell us. <laughs> okay, when um I sat down and watched it this morning, um, it was the first thing that hit me was how she was with her child and how she was able to be herself and interact with her child and she was so happy and the child was happy and that I was just like that is just speaks volumes in itself but when she was sitting there and she was thinking of the excuses and the time was going by I literally thought to myself 
oh my god I've done that so many times and didn't even realize it how many excuses how many times I was like oh my god there was a cute like just sit in the car like I, I think it's a great advert I really really do and I think it's actually a really true reflection on what a lot of um victim support survivors do just yeah. to get away for a little bit longer like just to get out of the house the fact that it speaks volumes that she just wanted to get mm. out of that house yeah absolutely I, I think it's a fantastic advert I really do very very effective so uh, we just thought yeah. it was worth discussing and it, again it's one of those ones that if any of our champions or if anybody's listening to this they can think about that's actually what those victim su- survivors have felt or are feeling right now um and you know it's again being able to relate with people I think that's super important mm-hmm. um and really Stacey it's just uh, uh Terry did you want to ask any other questions um no no just to sort of I guess what I, I wanted to just to um kind of do a plug I suppose at that point really um obviously that's a women's aid advert and we've got very women's aid we've got lighthouse women's aid we've got all sorts of other services in in Suffolk but just to say um just to make sure that you know that's really relevant in terms of COVID like you said Claire um people being in lockdown and perhaps the only time the only opportunity they've got um to get out of the house is when they go and do the shopping and that you know there are you know, there are those services out there. And then we've also, um, Stacey's already talked about Anglia Care Trust um, and just to say, you know, their helpline is there as well. So um, I'll give the number while I'm here. 08, well, 0800 Yeah, just just to make sure that we're putting it out there. And just quickly, Stacey, about, so. give us an update. What you talked about, yeah, going to the college um and you want you've gone to the hospitals um tell us what so what what have you been doing with the hospitals um just kind of um I went in for the first time and there was a range of people there just to explain to them things to look out for ways that they could try and intercept women especially pregnant women I was like even if you have some sort of women yeah. have to go to the like um Ipswich hospital I know that women have to go into the toilet by themselves when they're on the the maternity wards have some sort of device like a sticker or a chart or something that they can stick on their wee sample so when you collect it you can keep an eye out or um if for one incident like when I went with him for a scan and um I had um marks on my face and a black eye anyone could have kind of intercepted me at the toilet while someone distracted him like it's just about thinking outside of the box on and I was just trying to talk to them obviously give them the opportunity to ask me questions um say to like the the lady that I speak to at the hospital Julia like you need you need midwives you need pediatricians to come along um and I, I went and done speeches for them had Mm -hmm. um, speeches with smaller groups as well so they could kind of ask me more questions on what my take of it would be where they could kind of step up where they could kind of help a lot of them do say the same things well we asked and she said no again that's where I was like you have to be persistent don't be aggressive but be. are you sure Mm -hmm. is there anything you'd like to tell Mm -hmm. us okay that's fine I said and don't go on and on about it ask them if they say no okay leave it because then they'll think okay they didn't pressure me into nothing so that is a person that I might be able to talk to because they were listening to what I was saying yeah absolutely that's I mean that's a really really good point and I think Terry's already mentioned it as well about sort of like 
you know coming back two weeks later if you're if you're seen again just because mm -hmm. you ask the question once doesn't mean you can't ask the question again does it it just means you know give them a break let them think about it let the sow mm. the, the seed sow if you if if you like um yeah. but um it's just about you know showing that professionally that that curiousness and mm. that you care absolutely and I being think compassionate really do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah compassionate. like you don't un really understand what they're going through when they're not with you behind them closed doors you don't understand mentally what they're going through but if you kind of give them that little door but don't push it and they, 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 we have to, as victims and survivors, open that door ourselves. You guys can't make us like, mm. even if having your children removed mm. or whatever. If if that we still don't open that door ourselves, that, that it's never going to happen. But mm. if you can just creak that door open slightly for them and just say, okay, cool, no worries. If you say nothing's wrong, that's fine. Don't worry about it. And then next time, just be like, if and all right, home. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's yeah. not pressure for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, just massive thanks. Absolutely. Just obviously, Stacey, we might as well mention the fact that you are a champion. You I are am. a domestic <laughs> abuse champion. You came on our two day training. Mm -hmm. um, tell us what tell us your thoughts of the training and how you felt <laughs> once you completed it. Um, so I originally just come on the course just to see what you were doing. I'm very interested in all things like that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I like to see how people are like what everyone's trying to do, see how professionals have come along, see what their aim is. So I thought, okay, I'll come. I gave my speech. You guys said to me, oh, you should come on it. And I thought, okay, I'll go on it, see what it's all about. Um, I literally cannot <laughs> express, and I'm not just tooting your hump them trumpet <laughs> because but I, I literally can't express when it comes from people who don't understand what we've been through but they want to say oh we've done this or we've done that considering you guys haven't been through dv the mm. the course and the way you're trying to get professionals to change their language to understand the manic behavior to understand why people don't always engage I, I cannot express to you that that is the first course I've been on that I literally was so happy when I finished it with how you deliver it how you're trying to stop the victim shaming how you're trying to get professionals to see it from outside the box and constantly telling the professionals that it is not the victim's fault like I to me that course everyone should at least go through your course because it's such an eye-opening course and it's very for the victim survivor it's, you're very supportive on it on their approach it was just such a great course that I I really really was so happy with it when I walked away because I really think you are as close to the mm -hmm. line as you can be without being a victim or a survivor and you're just on the right road for it it's you're just like trying to change and that's the best thing you're trying to change it in our favor and to support us and to get all the professionals talking and mind how they go in and to mm -hmm. remember that the perpetrator can be manipulative and stuff like it was honestly it was just one of the best courses I've been on it really really was but no Yes, well, yeah. that is our greatest <laughs> accolade. We may quote you on that. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, that might that might be going on the, on any any more flyers that we send out. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. If I can just kind of like paraphrase you in some way, um, but yeah, thank you. And 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 for for Claire and I, and um, you you are obviously um, mm -hmm. one of the survivors that have been on our on our training, um, and we're we're, we're hugely 
privilege to know you and, and to have this opportunity to talk to you today. Um, but we have lots of people who come on our training yeah. who don't come on as survivors, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. That's, we don't know that prior to them coming on the training. Um, and um, disclosures tend to happen throughout the training. And I think it did while you were there as well. There are other people on your yeah. in, in your group, weren't there, who, who, who shared some lived experience as well. And, and what Claire and I always say about that is, you know, yeah. it's it it really does bring the training to life and it um we we can't thank anybody enough for for, for sharing their um lived experience because as you say and as claire said at the very beginning um when you bring when you bring that live that live experience um it really does um just make the whole thing more powerful for for the people and other they people listen. That are listening and um, they really and, really listen um, i think and i yeah. think that i think that's yeah. absolutely key yeah. i think yeah, they, you know i've said this before you know you know I, obviously i will also work for leeway and you you everybody does their job and on a day-to-day -day basis they do their job and just and we all get on with our jobs but um listening to somebody who's actually experienced it hearing their story just changes things for Terry and I and, and that's why we constantly want to improve the training and we constantly want it to be about the victim survivor and so that when other professionals do work with these victims that they know how to approach it they know how mm -hmm. to to work with those victims and they have a better understanding and I think that's absolutely what the point of the training is all about really yeah I agree absolutely yeah it, yeah so thank you Stacey thank you for thank you for coming along um yeah. to the training thank you for everything you're doing in terms of putting yourself out there um and I know um you know you're giving an awful lot of your time um to try and raise awareness and get involved as, in as much as possible so um and and you are you are the voice that most people will want to listen to so um that that's a really powerful a powerful tool that you're using to your to, to better the situation for other people so um yeah we thank you for for, for putting yourself out there and letting us letting us talk massive to you thanks and, um, stacy yeah, you're a superstar um, in our eyes anyway <laughs> thank you i just want to thank you both for letting me have the opportunity <laughs> yeah. to attend the um the course that you're doing and i just want to say from all of us victim survivors thank you very much for everything that you're doing to change the system wow well done Aww. darling oh oh thank you thank you um okay um i think i don't no. think we can add anything i need a coffee that Stacey said today, <laughs> so, um i think that's probably <laughs> think, <laughs> think everybody needs to go and have a sit down um thank you everybody for um for listening um, share it and please if you've listened to this and please share it wider um this podcast is different to our other podcasts in 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 that respect that i think you know um it, it would benefit anybody in, across <laughs> across the world but let's talk about suffolk um across suffolk um to listen to this because um as we say at the beginning mm -hmm. of our champions training domestic abuse is everyone's business and everyone needs to know and understand it um so um this this podcast will give everybody that window that insight in that, that you're not going to get anywhere else um so yeah please share far oh, and best. wide and thank you again stacy yes. um, <laughs> and we will catch up with you yeah. soon for something else that will be very exciting yes please keep us posted of any new things that you're doing because of be really important for us because then we can add those kind of things to, so the champions so the rest of your colleague champions know what you're up to as well 
Yep, not a problem. I will definitely. <laughs> All the best, Stacey. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Take care.